pray. And our passage started out this morning with those simple words, for this reason. And Paul started his prayer in verse 1. He's looking back at all that God is doing in the world. All of God's wisdom, all of God's purposes, all of God's plan. And what God is doing from eternity past is now being unfolded before the church. Things that were mysteries in the Old Testament, things that were not clearly understood when Adam sinned and Adam was told there's going to be a seed from the woman who's going to bruise the serpent's head. That was a mystery to Adam, I'm sure. Abraham, in your seed, singular, I will bless all nations. And I will bless everyone who blesses you. And I will curse everyone who curses you. I'm thinking that must have been somewhat of a mystery to Abraham. What are you going to do, God? When God told David, David, you will never lack for a man to sit on the throne of Israel. And David comes and he falls on his knees. And he says, God, this is not the manner of men. And I know what you're doing is for a long time off, but I don't think David understood. I think it was a mystery that a Messiah, a Savior, was going to come through the house of David. That a Messiah was going to come through the line of Israel. That a Messiah was going to come by a miraculous virgin birth through the seed of the woman. And Paul says, for this reason, all of these mysteries have been unfolded and have been made clear through the preaching of the gospel. This is what God has been doing for ages and ages, and now I get to see the full picture. That Gentiles who were on the outside looking in, and the only way to know the God of Abraham was to convert to Judaism and to undergo the rite of circumcision. And even then, there was a wall that separated Jew and Gentile worshipers. And now God is saying, before the creation of time, God had already chosen to save all those who are in Christ, that God had chosen in His infinite wisdom, His manifold wisdom, to choose a nation of Israel, not to the exclusion of, of other people. God chose a nation for the inclusion of all people. And the Jews did not understand that. In fact, when Jesus would deal with the Syrophoenician woman, they would say, send her away. When Jesus went through the city of Samaria, they said, why is he talking to this woman? When Jesus went into the temple and he taught that they will come from the east and the west and they will sit down with Abraham, but the children of the kingdom will be cast out. What a mystery that was to even the apostles that God was choosing 12 men, not to the exclusion of others, so that they might include all. And Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knee. 
because I am looking back now and I see what God in his manifold wisdom, his infinite mind that's beyond comprehension, that God has concluded all men under sin through the power of the law. And the Jews who had the law knew that I cannot come to a holy God by trying to come through the law. I'll never make it. A Gentile who had the law in his conscience knew that I never live up to even the things that my own conscience tells me I ought to do. And God has confined all men under sin in order that he might have mercy on all people. Oh, the depths and the riches of God's wisdom, they are past finding out. Romans chapter 11, verses 30 and following. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knee. When I think about all that God has been doing, and then Paul says, for this reason I bow my knee, if you understand the stewardship that's been given to me. I don't deserve any of this, Paul said. I persecuted the church. I hated Christians. I blasphemed your name. And yet your grace was so exceedingly abundant. God, you took a man that was dead in his trespasses and sin, and you made him alive in Christ. You took people that were following the course of this world, and you changed the direction of their life. You took people who were under the influence of their carnal mind and their carnal actions, and you set them free, and you have seated us in heavenly places in Christ. God, you took the least, then the less of all saints this grace was given, that Paul should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make all men see what is the fellowship of this gospel that's found in Christ. And so he says, I bow my knee because of what God has done. And this morning, when you pray, you have every reason to pray. Because what God has done in your life through the power of the gospel, when you met Jesus Christ, God took you out of the kingdom of darkness and he translated you into the kingdom of his dear son. God has predestined everyone who believes in Jesus to be holy and to be blameless and to be adopted. In Christ Jesus, you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And what more reason do you have to bow your knee before Almighty God when you think of what you used to be and what you could have been and what God has kept you from and who you are now. So Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knee. What humility. I bow my knee to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ through whom all the family in heaven and earth is named. Every, every family. God is the archetype for everyone. He is the creator. He is the originator. He is the sovereign over everything to whom every family in heaven and earth is derived from and owes its very being and its very existence. I was reading one of the Old Testament prophets this morning that God spoke to Israel in the midst of their rebellion and he reminded them that you owe me for every breath you're taking. This is the one who we bow our knees to. This God who is sovereign over all of creation. The second reason that we pray is because people need the Lord. People need the Lord. 
because of what people need. And so we're going to look through each one of these requests and just dissect them so that you can know how to pray for others and how you can pray for yourself. I've been sort of selfishly been praying this prayer for myself this week because I want to be strengthened. I want to be strengthened with might in my inner man because that's where the battles are. That's where the doubts are. That's where the struggles are. The real struggles of life are in my inner man. And that's where you and I need to be strengthened. Who is the inner man? I'm kind of, Ron kind of jokes with me. He says, Patrick, you write your notes down, and then you just kind of leave them. And I'm kind of just jumping all over my notes. <laughs> but uh, so to be strengthened, to be strengthened with dynamon. Dynamon is the word that he uses. It's the word for power, might. It's power. It's used for God. That's what I want in my life. I want the power of God in my life. And I pray for this church that God would strengthen you with might, with dynamite, with power. Now, how is that possible? How are you and I able to have that kind of strength in our life? It's not in our flesh. It's not through philosophy. It's not through wisdom. It's not through anything that you and I do. Paul says that you might be strengthened with might through the Spirit. This is a spiritual exercise. It's the Holy Spirit who enables our inner man to be strong. This is what he says in the book of Galatians, chapter 5 and verse 16. Walk in the Spirit. That's an imperative command for you and I to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What a powerful equipment that you and I have to be strengthened with might so that I don't have to succumb to my old sin nature. I can reckon that man to be dead with Christ and raised to walk in the newness of life through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what he says in the book of Colossians. Through the Spirit, mortify the deeds of the flesh. Fornication, adultery, covetousness, which is idolatry. We do it through the Spirit. I don't do it by my own might or trying to suck it up and just say, okay, be a man. That's what we do, don't we? Just man up. No, I need to fall on my knees and bow before the God of heaven, who's the one who all the name of earth comes from. And I pray, God, you strengthen me through your Spirit in my inner man. Now, who is the inner man? The inner man is that man that has been regenerated and made alive in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that's the man who needs to be strong. Paul says this in, in, in 2 Corinthians 4.16. He says, therefore we do not lose heart. Though our outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed day by day. How is that done? Two things. It's through prayer and asking God and the Holy Spirit to fill you. And secondly, by filling your mind with the word of God. Filling your thoughts with his thoughts. So that's the first thing that we're to pray for. People desperately need an inner endowment of spiritual strength. And that's the way we should pray for each other. And that's the way we should pray for ourselves. God hears these prayers. The inner man is the man, according to Paul in Romans chapter 7 and verse 22. He says, I delight in the law of God according to my inner man. If I want to walk in the power of obedience to God's word, 
My heart, my inner man, that man has been regenerated. It needs to be renewed every single day through the washing of regeneration and through the renewing of my mind and through the power of the Holy Spirit. If I want to live a life that delights in the law of God, I need to be strengthened according to my inner man. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 22. Second thing, people need to live out the reality of Christ's presence in their life. We need to live out the reality of Christ's presence in my life. It's not just a theory that I'm in Christ. It's not just a theory that Christ lives in my heart. I need to live that out in actuality. And so Paul prays, and the the second infinitive in this, this prayer, the request is found in verse 16 that God would grant, and then we see the infinitive. The first grant is to be strengthened. I didn't point this out, but notice that that's passive. He doesn't say to strengthen yourself. We are to be strengthened. I am to receive strength. And how do I do it? It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. The next infinitive is found in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the next thing he prays for. Well, what does that mean? I I think that's almost a, a way of rephrasing being strong in the inner man but it's got a little bit different flavor to it. To dwell, it's a compound word. It's kata oikos. Oikos is a house. Kata means to to be according to. And so this word was used in early Greek literature to mean to take up permanent residency and to feel at home. What a powerful expression that Paul has that Christ may actually feel at home, and take up personal residency in my inner being, in my heart. Uses it figuratively, he doesn't he? You know what it's like to be at home? Just to feel comfortable, to be yourself, to be relaxed. I love coming home. There's nothing like it, is there? You just kick your shoes off. You can be yourself. You can leave, well, my wife doesn't like it, but I can leave dirty socks on the floor, (laughs) whatever. I just feel comfortable. And Paul is praying that Jesus Christ would just feel comfortable. What kind of house would Jesus feel comfortable in? A house that's pure, a house that's clean, a house that has the right motives. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're sinless. It doesn't mean that you're doing everything right. But there's a heart's desire. And Paul says, I pray that Christ. Now, how does Christ do that? He does it through faith. To comprehend what that means, it's a figurative sense. It means that God wants to live in my heart through the power of the Holy Spirit and the person of Jesus Christ, and that I'm experiencing His influence and His presence daily. This comes through confession of sin and the absolute reliance on the Word of God. Christ will not feel at home in an unclean heart. We are not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And it's so quick to say, God, you're open into my heart simply by confessing sin. Keep short records of sin. Have daily times in prayer with Christ. It's so easy to drift. And so Paul is praying that Christ might feel at home there. The third request that he prays for you and I and that we should pray for ourselves and pray for one another 
people need to grasp the total, the totality of God's revealed truth in Christ. Now, expositors have gone on and on what this verse actually means, and, and I don't have an answer. I have an idea, and I'm going to share that with you. But if you go down to verse 18, you see that verse 18 is introduced by a word may be able to comprehend. There's another infinitive, right? To comprehend. The word to is an infinitive. But that verse actually starts up, if you back up to a comma, where it says being rooted and grounded in love that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. So there's, there's something that precedes being able to comprehend something, being able to understand, to be able to understand the, the depths, the widths, the height, and all those different dimensions. And I don't know what Paul's talking about exactly, but what Paul is saying, first of all, before you ever get to that place where you can comprehend all who God is and the totality of God's revelation, you first must be rooted and grounded in love. That's where it starts. That's where comprehension, it doesn't come through knowledge. It doesn't come just through, through Bible study alone. This is what Paul told the Corinthians. He says, love causes you to be conceited. I'm sorry, just the opposite. <laughs> knowledge causes you to be conceited. Love causes you to be built up. It causes you to be edified. And then he, he goes on to say, that everyone who thinks that he knows as he ought to know, he didn't know anything at all. So being rooted and grounded in knowledge, it doesn't make you a better person. It doesn't make you a new person. In fact, some of the most knowledgeable people, the most Bible biblical scholar people can be some of the hardest people to be around. So what is it God wants us to be rooted and grounded in? He wants us to be rooted and grounded in love. Love is the very essence of who God is. When you and I are rooted and grounded in love, we don't need any laws to tell us what to do. Love tells you what to do. And love fits every single situation. I watch my children... And I watch them struggle with things in their lives. But when they do the right thing, they are acting out of love every time. It's amazing. The rest of that verse goes on to say, you don't know anything as you ought to, but then it says, but the one who loves God, this is 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, the one who loves God, that person is known by God. There's a deep, intimate relationship. So if I'm going to be able to comprehend the totality of God's revelation and really, really grasp it, I've got to be rooted and grounded in love first. And that's where Paul starts with this request, that being rooted and grounded in love, then you may be able to comprehend. Let me just kind of summarize love if I haven't done it already for you. I don't know where I wrote it down, so just be patient with me. All right. The doctrine of love is what we are firmly to be founded in. 
Love is self-giving, self-denying, service toward Christ and his body. That's what we need to be rooted and grounded in. It's pointless for me to speculate what all these dimensions are in this, this, this language here of the end of verse 18. With all saints, we're going to talk about what that means though and how important that is with all saints. What is the width, the length, the depth, and the height? But first of all, just let me say, I have no idea what he's talking about, okay? And that's just a confession. I don't know what that means, the height, the depth, the width, and the length. But I think, and I could be wrong, but I think it's just talking about God's infinite knowledge and infinite wisdom. And Paul is asking that we might be able to comprehend, that we just might be able to grasp the totality of all who God is. Now, my mind can't do that. Your mind can't do that. But here's the beauty of this doxology. I'm kind of running ahead of myself. Because Paul is asking in this prayer to do what is impossible, what you and I cannot do. I have no strength in myself. That's why I need to be strengthened with Christ in my inner man. Christ does not naturally feel at home in my heart because I'm a sinful person. I can't comprehend all the height, the depth, the width, the length. I can't know all of God's infinite wisdom. I, I can't know the love of Christ. It passes knowledge. I can't be filled with all the fullness of God. And here's the beauty of this prayer. He comes to the doxology. He says, now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I even ask or think. I'm going to ask God to do the impossible because our God is able. And then he goes on to say, not only is our God able, but that same enablement lives in your heart. Unto him who's able to do all above all we ask or think, to him be glory in the church forever, man, according to the power that works in us. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? It's an amazing prayer. I just kind of finished my sermon all at once there. And you're saying, amen. But what I, what I want to get to that, that phrase, though, that we want to comprehend it, all this stuff, be rooted and grounded in love, and we are to do it with all the saints. So the second part of being able to comprehend, I'm rooted and grounded in love, the second part is I've got to do it in harmony, and I've got to do it in community. You don't do it separately. I, I was so struggling two years ago because I was not vitally connected to a local church. When I started to come to North Valley Bible Church, when I got plugged in here, when I started using my spiritual gifts at this church, God began to show me things that I never saw before. I began to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the width, the height, the length, and all those different dimensions. We happen to grow in best when we grow in community. And we're going to get to that in Ephesians chapter 4. That's for another sermon. But let me just give you one quote from Job 11 about all these dimensions. It says in Job 11, verses 7 through 9, it says, Can thou, by searching, find out God? It's a rhetorical question. No. Can you find out the Almighty unto His perfection? Again, rhetorical question. The answer is no. It is as high as heaven. What can you do? It is deeper than hell. 
What can you know? The measure thereof is longer than the earth, and it's broader than the sea. And I think that's what Paul had in mind. The wisdom of God. To be able to grasp the totality of all that God is doing. And you want to try to do that? I think there's a simple way to do it. It's Jesus. Everything that God has been doing before the foundation of the world up till now, it's found in Jesus. And that's an infinite lifetime journey that God wants you to explore. Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you have seen my Father. The next request, four, people need an intimate and personal knowledge of the love of Christ. Truly to understand the mystery of Christ requires much more than an intellectual comprehension. Let's look at this verse together. Verse 19, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That's the fourth infinitive, to know the love of Christ, that God may grant for you to know this love. I think what Paul is saying here is that it's not just an intellectual comprehension of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, but God wants us to have a vital relationship with the very one whose nature and character is perfect love. First John is such a beautiful book because it's all about love. If anyone says that they know God and doesn't love his brother, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. He goes on to say, and this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. He goes on to say that God is love and he that loves is born of God and he that does not love does not know God. For God is love. And most of you probably can quote John 3.16, but it's always appropriate, isn't it, when we talk about love. For God so, thus, in this manner, so loved the world of humanity that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And Paul prays that we might have an intimate relationship loving our God and loving Christ. And that is a lifetime journey because that love goes way beyond our ability to comprehend it. You know, we would love somebody enough to maybe lay our down our life for that person if they were a good person. But how many of us would lay down somebody, our life for somebody who hates us? That's the love of Christ. And that, my friend, passes human understanding. So Paul prays for that. <clears throat> Lastly, the result. The result of all of this the result of Christ dwelling in my heart by faith, the result of being strengthened in my inner man, the result of knowing the love that's unknowable, the result is, and I think this is not a prayer request, I think this is a, a purpose, a result clause, the end of 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. When you and I understand love, 
the result is that you and I are filled with all of the fullness of God. This is the very essence of who God is. And I think it means that you and I then are becoming more and more like God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. At the end of that sermon in Romans in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, You've heard that it was said of old, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who curse you, or bless those who curse you, pray for those who despitefully use you. For what thank is there if you just love those who love you back? You're just like the tax collectors. They do the same thing. Therefore, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. When you and I begin to comprehend, and you and I begin to understand and to love Christ and to know His love that passes knowledge, then we are being filled with all of the fullness of God. That's the result of it. In conclusion, God is due all glory because of what He can do. Now unto Him. Again, what is it that is God deserving of? He's deserving of all glory, isn't He? And that's where Paul goes with this. At the end of this prayer, he says, Now unto Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power, look at that, according to the power that works in us. And then he finally gets down to the subject, to him, be glory. Glory is deserving to God. One, because God is able to do. Through Two, because that power works in us. And three, because of the display that he's going to work through his church. So let's just kind of go through this as we conclude. We pray, and one of the reasons is, is because of what God can do. God is able to do beyond what our asking and thinking. Has Paul sought and asked too much of God when he prayed for believers to grasp God's infiniteness? Has Paul asked too much when he's prayed for believers to understand Christ's love? that passes even human understanding? Has Paul asked too much of God when he prays that he might be filled with all the fullness of God? And all the reasons are resounding no. We can never ask God to do more. God is able to do whatever. Now, God's not going to do whatever if we don't ask according to His will. If we ask according to our own fleshly desires, He tells us in His Word. But there's nothing you and I can ask, out-ask God that God cannot out-give. The power that God has is also now being energized in us. This was accomplished when Christ was raised from the dead. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. We've already read this. That we might know what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe, according to His working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. God's ability to give far exceeds our capacity to ask. And God's ability to work in, through and in our lives far exceeds the weakness of our flesh. Isn't that good news? That's the gospel. 
Therefore, all glory is due Him. Glory in the church. Why in the church? Because you and I are His masterpiece of His manifold wisdom. Who would have ever thought a bunch of misfits like us would be on display for all eternity to show principalities and powers of what God can do? God can break down walls. God can take people who are far off and make them near. God can take people who are dead and make them alive. And we're going to display that for all eternity, what God has done. To Him be glory in the church forever and ever. Amen. Let's close with prayer. Father, it is good news to know today that I can't ask anything that's beyond your limits, Lord. Spiritually speaking, when I ask to know something that's unknowable, I've got a God who's infinite in power. When I ask to live, that I might live a life with Christ dwelling in my heart, and I ask for you, God, to, to give me a life that's strengthened with power, God, I know that you can do that according to the power that works in me when you raise Jesus Christ from the dead. Father, you've given us every reason to pray. And I ask, Lord, that you would work in North Valley Bible Church. God, that you would make us a people of prayer. That we would faithfully pray for the members of this church. That, God, that you would strengthen us with might through the Spirit in our inner man. God, I pray this morning that, God, that Christ would come and dwell and be welcomed that His permanent residency, that Jesus would walk through the doors of North Valley Bible Church and say, I am at home here because people are walking in harmony and unity with each other. And God, may that be true in our own hearts as well. Father, today I pray that we might be able to comprehend since we've been rooted and grounded in love with all the saints to grasp your infinite wisdom. And Lord God, I'm asking something that we cannot do, but you are able. And God, I pray that we will really know your love, what your love really looks like, what it acts like, what it thinks like, so that we can interact with each other in the same kind of way. And God, that kind of love surpasses our human understanding. So that's why we pray to the one who's able to do above all we ask or even think. Lord, when we do these things, may North Valley Bible Church and the people that come and worship here, may we be a church that is filled with all the fullness of God. May you be glorified forever and ever.